and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Matthew Penny is in the building. Penny is getting back from a Las Vegas trip where he was out at uh, Pangos All-American Camp. And he had a takeaway that we just kind of have to start with. And it's uh, it's about Jalen Duran, right? Yeah, uh, I'm back to reality on the East Coast. Luckily, it's, it's still warm here. doesn't have the amenities that... Las Vegas, May, but uh, yeah, we're getting back in the swing of things, which is good. Yeah, so we're going to talk Jalen Duran at the top. We're going to talk a little bit about who our – we picked four each. I think Penny picked five because he's an overachiever on this podcast, and I'm not an overachiever <laughs> on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, the guys that we think are going to rise and help themselves, if we had to place bets on the guys that are going to rise and help themselves in the pre-draft process, these are the guys that we think are going to improve their standing. Uh, and then, I don't know, we might talk. I'm like four hours away from In the Heights right now, which is like the movie I am second most excited about this summer outside of Fast 9. So I- I'm just like kind of riding high on Cloud 9 today, Penny. Uh, I'm riding high on Cloud 9 because I just saw that jurassic park launched their like teaser promo that jurassic world whatever the the number is comes out june 10th 2022 so i i I, I had 365 days countdowns on the wall we'll we'll peel one one piece of paper off every day at my desk wait so so we have to peel back the layers here so penny are are you a like enormous jurassic park fan is this like a is this a thing it's a thing Uh, it's hmm. i put it this way i was a huge jurassic park fan growing up jurassic park one jurassic park two and now i just like chase that nostalgia with each movie i go in excited there's a few good minutes there's a lot of bad minutes and i leave being like i don't know why i got so excited then they they have the teaser promo the teaser trailer and it pulls me right back in (laughs) the first jurassic world that's how hollywood works it's like hollywood knows what they're doing they're they're feeding to my my past or feeding to my childhood you you hear the (laughs) the score the symphony the john williams and you're like oh there we go and then it's it's whatever it's lukewarm but it it brings you back yeah the first I thought Jurassic World was good. I didn't really like the second one. I thought the second one was more what you're talking about. I thought it was kind of a mess. But, like, the first one I thought was, like, totally good, like, exciting, blockbuster, kind of everything you just look for, you know? There's only so many spins you can do with dinosaurs. Like, they get back to the mainland. They mess up the island. There's not a lot of, like, in-between. I'm glad they haven't, like, gone to outer space yet or done something completely irrational. But I'm sure that's, like, a, a movie or two away from being where we're at. Well, so Universal owns both the Jurassic series, Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, and the Fast and Furious series. And I saw a headline maybe (laughs) a month ago that was like, uh, Jurassic World and Fast 9 uh, crossover movie, question mark. No, no. Is that clickbait or is that going to happen? Like, is Vin Diesel going to pull up and nod to a T-Rex and say La Familia and pull out? I I can't. I, I can't get there my father um so i think that like it was just based off of some offhand comment that one of the producers made like oh yeah like we're, we would love to explore that and it's just like yeah let's all get excited about that um but i i can only imagine vin diesel uh trying to incorporate one of the jurassic uh one of the jurassic dinosaurs into his family i mean i'm, I'm all it, in it, it, it could happen it could happen i'd like to see the venn diagram of those two fans and how they think this would actually look and, and be successful it would sell tickets it, that's 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 one thing it would sell tickets it wouldn't i flop. mean like i i, I think we it, just came up with something 
unfortunately. I'm, I'm so excited for Fast 9. I get to see it next week. It comes out here next week. Um, because like Vin Diesel is now a father in there. I watched Fast Five last night or two nights ago or something. And the way that Vin Diesel says father is unlike anything I've ever understood on this planet. <laughs> He's like my father. Like what are, how, how does, how does one get there in the pronunciation I, of father? Uh, is that method acting? I don't know. You're smarter <laughs> than me. You worked in Hollywood. You know that more better than I would. I, I'm, I love Vin Diesel so much. I lo- like I have an unabashed just love of those movies. Uh, they, they are just the best things on planet Earth, and I'm so excited to go see that. And I get to see In the Heights today. And In the Heights, it's, it's so weird. Like In the Heights in Fast Nine, like you can't really pick two different movies, but I'm equally, I'm close to equally as excited about both of them. The duality of life. It's a good thing. It's good to have some balance. Okay. So let's talk about Jalen Duran. So you got to see Jalen Duran play this weekend. Uh, just kind of, y- you were so inspired that you wanted to talk about him on the podcast. So just kind of give me the, give me the scoop on why you're so pumped about Jalen Duran right now. So I- I've been able to watch Jalen Duran beyond camp setting. So I-, I watched him play with Roman Catholic. I watched him play with uh, Mountford Academy in Florida and now here and camp basketball isn't always real life it's, it's up and down it's transition based it, it can be a dunk show at times he was still able to show the appeal as a prospect where he's 610 he's 230 pounds of muscle he looks like a college senior he has long arms big hands huge feet so you, you see the feet at size 18 or so and wonder if it's going to hurt him and it doesn't he rim runs hard, he hedges well, he recovers defensively out of high ball screens, and he has this presence in the paint on both ends. He's a great shot blocker that punches blocks. When he blocks a shot, the whole oh, team yeah. knows it. It's not one of these soft things off the backboard. Like He's punching or turning your head saying, what happened on that court? Which actually happened because night one, all the NBA guys kind of flocked to court one. I'm like, I'm going to hide in court two just to like get some guys off my list. And there's times you just heard it. And it's like, oh, and it's a punch. <laughs> and like, yeah, that was a block. No, I think I know what happened there. Uh, offensively, catches everything in his area. He carves and holds out space in the post. And it's not a bully ball game, which you would expect at his size and his strength. It's a blend of power and finesse. And when he gets to his move, he's tearing the rim down. And added to that, he led the camp in assists. So he took his time, he let the play develop, he saw cutters down the lane, he saw shooters in the corners, and then the next play he'll face up, he'll jab step a little, hit short jumpers, even hit a few threes here that looked natural enough. If that's consistent, there's no way he's not a top five pick at worst. And the biggest thing has always been the motor staying turned on. Not that he has it, but just will it stay turned on. And I felt like it was on high all weekend. So you have a ton of NBA scouts and front office people there. I think the final number is like 48 total. He had reps from G League Ignite, Overtime Elite. I don't know how people didn't walk away without being completely impressed with him as a player and a prospect. So yeah, I, I'll be honest. Like You and I have talked about Imani Bates, and we've talked about uh, that high school class, the 2022 high school class, quite a bit. And I feel like one thing we kind of took away from the last Money Bates conversation was just we kind of thought that Jalen Duren was the guy it was the number one player in the class right now. Not like in the future necessarily, but right now, Jalen Duren was the best player in the 2022 class. Am I wrong about that? 
you're not wrong. And, and shortly thereafter, after like another tournament or two, Rivals was the first site to put actually Jalen Duran leapfrog, leapfrog Monty Bates into one. So he's always yeah. been in that conversation. Chris Livingston's another wing who's kind of right there. It, yep. It's been like a three-ish man race. Yeah, and I really like Chris Livingston too. Like from what I've seen, he's not like a crazy, crazy athlete, but he's very, very skilled and has an exceptional game from what I've seen. Um, I don't think he's quite in the Bates Duren class, but I understand your point. Um, in terms of Jalen Duren, my, my question has always been, I love the impact defensively. I think he's exceptional on that end. I, I think he's one of the best prospects. I've evaluated defensively because he's really good rotating over from the weak side. He's consistent with it. He is switchable on the perimeter because he's as athletic as he is. He's twitchy. He can move his feet exceptionally well, kind of like you said. I mean, defensively, like he is kind of like Bam at a bio, just like five years, six years younger or whatever, right? There, there's elements of that. And before yeah. Imani Bates, the rest of the spring, joined team final to play with Jalen Duran, when Imani Bates was playing with his own team, Bates Fundamentals, in that matchup with, with team final at uh, Made Hoops event, Midwest Mania, Jalen Durant guarded Imani Bates. Oh, yeah. And, no, no, and no, no, people no. were like, like a little surprised because he is 6'10 with a huge wingspan. And he looks like a post, and he is a post, but his feet are quick enough, and he's smart enough, and has instincts that he guarded uh, a 6'8 wing who's ranked number one in the class or two in the class or whatever and shut him down for for lack of a better term no and it's it's the pride that he takes like he is not someone like he does not want to get scored on like he is someone who and you said like the motor turns on and off i'll be honest like in the games i've watched i haven't really seen that i've only seen him like with the motor turned up oh, i mean what does yeah. it look no, it, like it, when it goes up. yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly so, no it, it's it's been on it's been cranked up and it it's not that he was bored but there is times watching him play high school basketball and this before we get to mount verde when he's at roman catholic when the level of competition is not that he was bad but when you're that big and you're that strong and say you're playing a post to six eight and maybe 190 pounds if you're lucky you're just gonna like turn your shoulder and and cram on him every time and punches right. shots into the fifth row when it levels out the playing field a little bit and he's really at least somewhat challenged you see that glimmer and that fire really come out in his game yeah, the thing that I've kind of always noticed that I like, too, is that he's basically like a walking momentum shift waiting to happen on a basketball court because of how aggressively he plays. Like you said, like he doesn't just block shots. He punches them into the fifth row. Like I posted a I posted a shot of or a uh, highlight of him in high school this past year, and it's him literally sp- biking a block that goes <laughs> over the top of the backboard after hitting the ground because he spiked it into the ground so hard like and, and he and he had another one he had another one was on espn i think the game and he rotated i don't know it was a floater but it was like a decent shot by roddy gale who's going to ohio state and he just like mm-hmm. pulled it out of the sky it, oh, it yeah. was like yeah. bill russell-esque or walt chamberlain so he's pull it out of the sky it just some of the stuff he does doesn't make sense for the way his, his body is constructed and for him being, what is he? He's like 17 and a half, 18? Uh, something yeah. in that range? Don't, don't have the yeah. birthday, but that would be my guess. Um, just a ridiculous defensive prospect. Offensively, I love the passing. Like, I'm really glad that you brought that up. I'm really glad that he led Pangos in assists so that, like, there's some numerical evidence to back that up, right? Um, really sees cutters kind of all over the court. Like, I, 
I think that he's really good as a downhill driver at like putting the ball in his left hand and just hitting that little drop off to the cutter behind the defense, particularly. Um, in terms of the rest of the offensive game, I think he's going to be really good in like dribble handoff settings. He's going to be really good as like a pick and roll, pick and dive big man uh, that finishes. And I think that because of that ability to pass, he's going to be good in short roll settings. I'm like 10% worried about how he scores at the next level and if he's going to be a high level scorer. But you kind of mentioned uh, to me, I don't remember if you said this on air or off air, um, that the shooting looks a lot better for you now. And if he's shooting, yes. like anytime that I've ever seen him shoot, it's mostly just like he gets the ball on the left block and then turns right shoulder for a fadeaway. Um, if he's like actually shooting threes, I mean, it's it's not, I mean, it's not curtains, but like it's going to be, it's he's going to be ridiculous. Yeah. He, he hit two the first game that I didn't see. It was on the other court. Again, I, I still have a scouting service where I have, there's 105 players in camp. I just didn't want to gravitate toward him and Keontae George right. and Zion Cruz the whole time. But the game that I watched it in front of me the next day, uh, he missed one. It looked clean enough. And then he had another face up with like really good footwork where he kind of like stepped and stepped back had his balance and hit like a 12 footer. So it, it's getting there. It's, it's evolving. It's, it's not a, a finished product, but there's enough that gives you hope. It could get to a place where it at least keeps the defense somewhat honest. I don't think he's going to be spotting up on the break and pulling up transition threes, but if guys, if he pick and pops and the guy goes with the driver and kicks back, he, he's going to keep you honest. Yeah, totally. So I agree with you. I, I'm at the point where, I think he's the number one player in that class right now. Like, you know, Imani Bates, I think, has more upside because guys who can be ridiculous pull-up threats in the way that Imani has potential to be just generally have more upside if things come together, right? Like, that's just the way that the NBA is right now. Always bet on wings. That's the way it is, yes. And it's a weird spin for me as I've also evolved into not anti-big, but I do have that, like, pause of how the offense works, how it looks in a seven-game playoff series how the nba has shifted but it's you can't completely dismiss the performance a guy had when sometimes kids check out and he dominated from horn to horn who's camp mvp and when it got up and down he was fine and when it slowed down he was fine too and this wasn't a camp where there's 105 kids and 30 of them are good and 75 of them are just whatever like there were at least half these kids legitimate high majors and other high major bigs in the class guys in 2023 guys in 2024 like the event was loaded so it's not we're not watching highlight videos of him playing some local team in florida that mount bird academy added to the schedule because they needed a game like this was legit competition right, right. uh I, I think that's probably enough on duran particularly but one thing we wanted to kind of shift this to now is the way that bigs have been used in the playoffs in kind of discussing duran you know almost in that uh parameter in a way and the way that it interests me is that you know we, we saw the effect of bam Adebayo and anthony davis last year leading you know or playing second fiddle to get their teams to the final uh, as the second best player on those teams we've seen Nikola Jokic step up in a big way we've seen joel Embiid step up in a big way again in the playoffs even with his uh knee injury we have seen deandre ayton be exceptionally effective so far for the Phoenix Suns, although I think that a big part of that is more the way that teams have to defend Chris Paul and Devin Booker and pick and roll. Like, 
DeAndre is basically getting everything force fed to him at the rim. And it's on DeAndre that he's doing a great job of rim running and putting that pressure on the defense. And I think it says a lot of how valuable that can be if he would just do that every single night. But at the same token, he's really been excellent uh, throughout the course of the playoffs. So I don't want to say we're getting back to the point where bigs are valuable. I think bigs have always been valuable. It's just that you have to be like a top 10 big in the NBA to be valuable. And if you are a top 10 big in the NBA who can do a lot of different things, like Nikola Jokic being one of the two best offensive players on planet Earth, or Bam Adebayo being able to switch everyone defensively, Anthony Davis being like the best help defender in the NBA, um, DeAndre Ayton being able to rim run in an elite level, uh, protect the rim reasonably well, switch onto the perimeter and guard bigger players. There's just a lot that all of those guys can do. If you can be a versatile, multi-talented big, you are still extremely valuable. It's just that the replacement level for these more limited bigs, I think, is much, much higher than it used to be. But it's more of a celebratory victory lap a little bit. And I made the joke that agents of five men probably rejoiced with the Jokic MVP award. And, and maybe guys take different looks at a player like Sandro Mamakilashvili from Seton Hall. We've, we've talked about Sangoon at length. We've talked about Garza at length. It's a recency league. And I'm just curious how many kind of copycats are out there and see – the success of these bigs and maybe don't dismiss it and take it more into consideration when you're picking. Maybe it's the second round. Maybe it's not 10th overall, but how those guys fit into the system of play. I, I still, you made a really good point about Booker and Chris Paul really setting the table for Aiton, but we can't take away the production levels that he's had. Totally. No, I, I totally agree with that. I, I think that the big thing is being able to do a lot of different things well. You can't just be a rim protector, rim runner anymore. You need to be able to guard away from the basket. You need to be able to make plays with the ball in your hand, at least in like dribble handoffs and off of movement. Like you, you can't just be like Clint Capella is no longer just a rim running big like he was in Houston. Like he can occasionally hit like a short corner read. He can run dribble handoffs and he's really good in ball screen scenarios with Trey Young. He's switchable enough. He hits the barometer of being switchable defensively. Um, you know, so someone like Nikola, I mean, like Jokic is just a total anomaly in so many ways. Like he, I just wrote about yeah, that. But. And I also, we've kind of got to dismiss him a little bit in like a, a good sense for him. And. People throw around the term unicorn, and it's generally for like seven two guys that can shoot and run. Like he's a unicorn too, because like the way he passes and moves and sees the floor, I don't even like. This well, is gonna sound stupid. I don't even like consider him a big man. He's he's just like this enormous playmaking forward. That's the way I look at it. Well, like he is essentially. He put up a season in terms of scoring and shooting the basketball that was better than anything Dirk Nowitzki ever did this year. And then on top of it, he was one of the five best passers in the NBA this year. <laughs> did, like, he have like, that on his, did he have a, that on his MVP warm-up shirt he had yesterday? Did you see that? Yeah, it was amazing. Oh, it was amazing. It. It's like too yeah. fat, too slow, awkward game, drafted 41st, MVP. I don't yeah. think he had the Dirk Nowitzki. I'm a better shooter than Dirk Nowitzki, but he could have put anything on there, and I would have believed it because at draft time he went 41st, and, and people wrote him off, and you had a great piece about that whole buildup. But – some of the big stuff is they have to be well-rounded enough with their game and their skill set that right. it's not just 
rim running. And that was a little bit of the hesitation I had, and I think you did well as well with James Wiseman. I just yeah. wasn't totally into the shooting stuff. And he's a rookie. He, he took his lumps. I'm sure he'll, he'll bounce back. But I didn't like him in that two spot per se when you had other creation-type guards, bigger wings that were still available when you're drafting. Yeah, I mean, I, I had him at two, but it was more because there wasn't – it was it was like a lack of anyone else more than uh, that I thought he was a two. And I, I still think James Wiseman is going to be great. Um, but, like, looking back – like, honestly, Usman Garuba just went out and dropped, like, 16 and 14 today against Valencia in – an enormous game like an absolutely huge game it was the acb semifinals and like they they needed garuba to come up he made three threes uh you know had a couple of big dunks he absolutely dominated the glass uh just an enormous performance in a big game and i mean that's the kind of guy i'd rather have on my team like i'd rather have the multiversatile like garuba type than have james wiseman uh even if Usman Garuba is six foot eight with a seven foot three wingspan, as opposed to James Wiseman, who's seven one with like a seven six wingspan. And you're not as worried about the Garuba offense. And if he gives you a fifteen sixty a night, great. But you're really drafting him for his defensive versatility. And and that again speaks to if you need points on the board, you draft the wings, you draft the shooters first. And Garuba will be a, a great fit. But I'm still not of the camp to put him in the top ten when there's other available guys that we mentioned on the board first. Yeah, I don't have him in the top 10. I I would be surprised if he ends up in the top 10 for me, but he's probably going to be a lottery guy for me at this point. The the defensive tape for Garuba is too good. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's unlike anything I've seen at like the international level for a young player. Uh he he is so exceptional on that end that it's ridiculous. Um Okay. Do you have uh, do you have any other kind of strong takes on the bigs in the way that the I mean, like maybe the way to explain it is like you know giving a negative example. I feel like like someone like Isaiah Jackson worries me a little bit. Like I've seen lottery hype for him, and I I just can't get there in large part because and I don't mean to like single out Isaiah Jackson, right? Like there are a few of these guys that we could talk about, but. In his case, like Isaiah is six foot ten, not super like strong or anything to like hold his position, not an elite defensive rebounder, but a great shot blocker, has some mobility to switch, but not an elite switch guy yet. I'm just not quite there given the way that the big position is going in the NBA with Isaiah Jackson. Great point. Uh, I agree with you with what's what's going on right now with the playoffs, what went on in the bubble. And I was reminded by a, a co-worker at work today how I was way higher on Sharif Cooper when we first saw him the first couple of games. Now I have him more in like the late mid to late 20s range. Yep. You have to look at it from a, a bigger picture of a game or two, a season or two. The NBA, I, I would more look at it as like a three- to five-year picture of the way the game and league has changed as opposed to here's one playoff run and the bigs were dominant or the year before, Bam Adebayo was dominant. Or if we go to college, Sharif Cooper for two or three games, we're like, ah, you know what, the shot's like a little busted, but he's such a great playmaker. And then eight or nine games later, we're saying, well, he's a little small now. And if he, he you're physical with him, you bump off his path, he can't get in the lane, his jumper's a little funky. And, and then water finds its level. He kind of settles down to where he should be. It, it's more of just a, a buyer beware of don't always ride the wave of the trend until it really asserts itself as being something that's going to last. 
No, I'm with you. And I kind of want to continue talking about Cooper a little bit. Uh, but let's take a quick commercial break before we get into our guys who are going to rise up the uh, draft boards as we move through the pre-draft process. Okay, and we're back. Penny and I wanted to do this little experiment where we talk about, uh, like, basically place bets on guys who we think are going to move up the pre-draft process throughout the entire time. And I kind of mentioned before the commercial break that I wanted to talk about Sharif Cooper, and it's not because I think Sharif Cooper is going to be one of these guys. It's more because I wrote the Miles McBride uh, draft guide profile last week, and... I was blown away by how good his tape was in comparison to what I thought it was going to be. Maybe this is just me, you know, tuning out of West Virginia by mid-February because I was kind of sick of watching them. But they got awesome on offense. And it was in part because Deuce was like a genuine pull-up threat and also really developed and worked his way into being a high-level pick-and-roll distributor when they moved to more of that four-out offense. Once Oscar Shibwe departed. There it is, yep. So, I actually have Deuce higher than Sharif Cooper now on my board. I have him, like, right around 20, Deuce. And I have Sharif, like, kind of similar to where you are, like, mid-20s range. And I, I think that Deuce is the guy I wanted to talk about. We talked about him a little bit last week, after, and I did the draft guide profile after that. I mean, I, I was... I really was kind of blown away, and I think that his athleticism is just a lot, and the way that his athleticism translates to functional play on the court, I think it's a lot more underrated than kind of what I thought it was going in. Hmm. I'm a little surprised by that take. I mean, we, we talked a little about it last week. I thought that you had kind of settled that late first. The the 20s a big jump, but it comes down to a or B, like it, you're not the the biggest Trey Mann fan. I know you're not the biggest Cam Thomas fan. So if those guys move down, kind of like similar positionally, I, I get how he would jump there. Uh, I, my hangup is, is still remains the same. Just is he a one? Is he a two? Is is the jumper real enough from distance? Can he get to it off the pull up quick enough? Is he going to be able to finish at the rim as well with with bigger guys, a little bit more congestion maybe, but did have a good end to the season, and Sneaky had that like 30-point game in the first round of the tournament when most of the world was sleeping. I know you were probably awake, and it's like 2 in the afternoon for you, uh, but it was kind of like brushed on the rug because there weren't as many eyes drawn to it. Oh, I'll be honest. I think he's definitely a point guard. Like I, I don't even think it's a question. Like I, I think that the skills he showed in the second half of the year as a pick and roll distributor. I mean, he averaged almost six points a game in his last or six assists a game over his last 15 games. Once they went to like that more spread four out offense. So I, mean, I think he's definitely a point guard. I'm, I'm not real worried about that. I, I am a little bit worried about the jump shot. He's a lot more comfortable getting into that mid range area than he is, uh, right. you know, pulling up from three, but you know, this is a guy that, took almost four threes a game and hit them at 42% from three and is very comfortable getting to that pull-up shot. So I don't know. I, I kind of think that it's going to be okay. Like I, I think he's a legit like pull-up weapon and a legit distributor who makes really good decisions. Like he very rarely turns it over. 
and is also one of the best pressure on ball perimeter defenders in this class. Like he's small. And I don't think that the defense is going to like quite translate at the highest level because guys are just going to like get him switched on to other people. But man, I I was, I was surprised with where I ended up on deuce. I, I, I think he, and like all the background comes back super like awesome, great kid, uh you know very hard worker uh like has you know maybe a little bit soft-spoken but like you know high level uh competitor everything like that like all of that is very positive i'm just kind of i'm at the point where it's hard for me when i went back to watch the tape it was hard for me to be like okay this guy just has much better tape than Jaden springer this guy has much Mm. better tape than cam thomas if you look at the totality of what he's doing on the court <laughs> right if you watch the defense the passing sure yeah um like i, I so he, yeah yeah so I'm, he's I'm 20 r- r- roughly 20 right now then. 20 22 something in that range so uh, a broader draft question and, and kind of just your your stance or strategy based if he's 20 if you're taking him 20 are you considering him a starting guard or somebody who comes off the bench i think that he's probably most likely to be a very 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 high level sixth man i think that's probably the most likely outcome of all of this but if you told me he's a starter like i think there's real starter outcomes with him because of the distribution and pull-up game at the same time would you be shocked if i said he split time next year in the g league no because I expect everyone that goes twenty to split, to spend time in the gym. <laughs> right, right, like, right. Well, well part, part of it's like the war of attrition, and I actually just kind of made my my first big board for this aggregate big board that's coming out, and it, it's difficult when you put names on paper and you can't really get tied as much to spots as opposed to getting tied to names and who'd you rather take and the way you value him over the guys we just listed. It, it just he kind of settles into that pace uh, that range. I'm sorry. I just have him a little bit lower. I have more concerns with the shooting. And similar to you, I, I probably tuned out West Virginia a little bit too much later in the season. But the numbers are great. I mean, it, it's 40% across the board. And then, like, what was it, 80% plus from the foul line, too? Yep. Like, the shot the shot could get there. It's just a, a little bit slow getting there. I, I've, I've beat this to death. But that 20 range or maybe, like, 25 to, to 35, I'd rather just maybe make a run at – a wing, whether that's TJ Shannon or you, you roll the dice with a guy like Zaire Williams or even Jaden Springer, who the, the net outcome could just be higher if it all clicks and works out. If it works out for Miles McBride and he's a backup or a six man, that's great. But if I, I'm kind of not taking this as a flyer, but it's a long term investment pick, I would maybe go with one of those other guys first. Deuce over his final 12 games was 17 points, five and a half assists, four rebounds, two steals on 43, 42, 82. Like he, he was awesome. And that's against, he played Kansas, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Texas. Um, then like TCU and Kansas State who were garbage and then TCU again. Um, but <laughs> Baylor, not Oklahoma one, State twice one, yeah. and then Syracuse. So like they played eight of those 12 games against top 25 teams something like that top 30 teams let's say in the case of texas tech right yeah it was real competition so uh, yeah um uh i was i was um very impressed i was very very will will you stamp him 
as this draft's version of Malachi Flynn for you? Or are you not ready to commit? I and, think and for he people kinda who, who is. weren't around last yeah. draft, Sam was was all on the the Malachi train late first, had him a little bit higher, and obviously he I would say he panned out for first draft range where he went. I'm just uh I'm wondering if, if it's a similar type of uh basketball love you have for him. Or if there's somebody else that's stolen your heart. I think I actually like him a little bit more than Malachi because he's athletic. Oh, okay. Malachi, it's not that Malachi Find isn't an athlete, but he's not. He's just kind of a different dude. And by the way, Malachi Flynn over his final 24 games this year in the NBA, uh, 12 and a half points, four and a half assists, four rebounds. Shot 40% from the field, which isn't great, but 37 from three and 83 from the line. Only one and a half turnovers. Played good defense, not great defense. But you give me 12 and a half points with four and a half assists and a three to one assist turnover ratio for a rookie guard. I'm in. Sounds great to and, me. And, and where he was drafted, too. I believe yeah. he's rookie of the month, one of those months, week or month. I, I get all the days confused. But he, he won an award. He was the best rookie at, at some point during the season. Best I rookie in April. Earlier in that run. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Perfect. There it was. Um, so, yeah, no, I am uh, I am still happy with Malachi Flynn. I think that it's a similar deal with Miles McBride. Very high-level defender. Uh, very creative. Uh, a legitimate passer. Doesn't make errors. Like, the... The lack of turnovers and the lack of errors, I think, is a thing that goes underrated. We all get very excited about guys that uh, have the crazy highlights, right? But not yes. making mistakes is just as valuable. Uh, maybe not just <laughs> as valuable. That's a different highlight tape. But yeah, I don't like, think that has that same number of views on uh, on social media. But yes, also valuable in, in basketball circles. Yeah. Um, Okay, give me give me your first guy that you think is going to rise in the pre-draft process because we just went so on you're, for way too long about yeah. my guy. You're a guy. All right, we have about 10 of them. This might be a – take one now, another for a rainy day. So this is going to be like a, a weird take, and you might say, come on, because most places he's 6th or 7th, but he's 17th on your board. So this is kind of me selling you back the prospect. Sure. I'm, I'm going with Keon Johnson from Tennessee. Okay. Yeah, sell me. I mean, I think Keon is somewhere solidly between seven and, you know, 13 for teams. My take here is he more solidifies himself in that seven to eight range. Statistically, not a great shooter during the season. 45% of the field, 27% from three. He was in the 60 percentile via synergy on catch and shoot attempts while also being the 69th percentile being unguarded catch and shoot. So you see some things there. And he'll be able to showcase this in the one-on-O drills. And I don't think, when you watch the tape, that the shot is beyond fixable. There's some wild misses in there, for sure. Banking a shot, hit one off the side of the rim, whatever. It just looks more stiff than anything. It's not a sort of shot. It, it, it's, it's not fluid enough, put it that way. It's in pieces. It's like a catch, a bend, an extension. Repetition yeah. can fix that type of stuff. And we've seen... His athletic tools, we've seen the vertical pop in the lane and on defenders during the SEC. Having the time and space in an individual workout, that explosion off the floor is going to pop even more. And there's already been some early reports on how good he's looked during the pre-draft process, and I'm, I'm not surprised. I mean, my hang-up with him has been the inability to maximize that type of skill set in the half court within the flow of the offense. But he was always great when the game was up and down or played faster. So if our holdup is the jumper, my argument is more with repetition. It's going to look good enough if, if that's the one thing. And you know he's going to defend. You know he's going to 
get up and down the court and run and jump and finish and slash and, and take stuff off a secondary break, I think the jumper is going to get there that he'll be intriguing in that 7 to 8 to 10 range. I don't disagree with that. I think that that is absolutely really probably true, to be honest. I think he's going to look really, really, really good. Uh, so I'm going to read you a quote from 20, 2019. Uh After working on this every day over a month, he seems more confident when he's shooting. During a private workout, he got hot and made 16 threes in a row at one point. If he can shoot like that in front of NBA teams, that will help his draft stock. What player do you think I'm talking about? (laughs) I was Keon Johnson. I'm like, I haven't read. I have not played draft. 2019 pre-draft. Gosh, that's tough. That's tough. You're killing me here. It's a guard. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna bail and say Peyton Pritchard. So I know that jump, jumper's good enough. Draft before that is what that was. Um, it was uh, I'm sorry, 19, yeah. not 20. So it was Nasir Little and no different players, but yeah, different, but similarly in terms of like had hype as a top five pick, top six pick coming in was yeah. very comfortable in that you know pre-draft. I think I ranked Nasir at like 10 or 11. It's uh, maybe you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, uh, something in that range. I don't remember. But shot it like okay in workouts, but you just kind of go back to the tape. Like at the end of the day, these teams really do go back to the tape, I think, and make decisions. Not all of them. You know, right. there are teams that are dumb, but like most of them <laughs> go back and look. Uh, no, I will not. Um, most of them go back and just fall back on what they saw the, on the court and my it's hard with Keon, man like it's hard <laughs> oh it's it's very hard i'm kind of trying to sell myself too in in that range but I, he was just so much lower on yours for nasir some of that build was the north carolina season wasn't what they expected he had limited minutes didn't really came off the bench and then yes. kind of started late in the year kind of like keon <laughs> well i thought you were gonna go zaire smith from texas tech so at least nazir whatever but with Nazir, his build, too, was the preseason that summer before. He's playing with pros on L.A., and the hype is built because of that. Like, Keon Johnson was great at USA Basketball, but still kind of this unassuming small-town kid where Nasir had this huge rep. And I don't know if just after the fact people were trying to, like, get back in that, and he, he slipped a little bit on draft night. He's been up and down. I think he had a 30-point game this year. He was sick. I think he may have COVID. Yeah, and, and look, this, this but, isn't but me, like, like taking – yeah, and I, I'm not like taking shots at Nasir Little, who I think is still going to be like an NBA player for a decade. Uh, I am a believer in Nasir Little generally, but I'm I'm more speaking of what happens on draft night with these guys, right? Um, yes. You know, I, I like I said, I had Nasir, you know, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, something in that range. I think I was probably a little bit high on him, but I think he's still going to end up being you know, returning very good value for where the trailblazers picked him. Um, it, I guess that, that the good. reason you, you, you put, you put me in a mental pretzel here. That was good. I, I applaud <laughs> the reason that I compare the two is just, you know, guys who were expected, you know, it, there was a lot expected of them in the preseason. Things clearly were a bit off to start the year. I mean, even in the preseason, it seems like with their programs in terms of the hype versus what they actually were. I think Nasir should have played more on that North Carolina team, uh, just in general. Like, I think that 
Roy Williams, you know, as great of a coach as he is, I don't think he handled that particularly well. I, I think that they could have, you know, played him more early in the season, got him more prepared, gotten, you know, more prepared for themselves later in the year, etc. Right. Same thing with Tennessee, I think happens with Keon Johnson. Keon Johnson comes off the bench early in the season, doesn't quite make the impact that what we're all expecting, <laughs> yeah. moves into we the starting him lineup. The podcast. He, he immediately has 27 points in the next game. By the end of the year, he's you know looking okay. He's their most confident guy. He's getting points. This year, if you go back through their NCAA tournament run, like he was, I think, double figures in most of those games. Like I, I keep kind of I keep going back to that a little bit. And definitely different players, don't get me wrong, but for what their role is, they are a bit undersized. Like, Nasir Little is more of a true wing who's, like, more toward the four side of the spectrum than, like, the two, right? And that's just athletically, I mean. Keon doesn't have the athleticism problems, but again, Keon right now is more toward the three side of the spectrum than the two side of the spectrum in terms of his ball handling, shooting, etc., it, and he's a bit undersized at six foot five with like a six seven and a half wingspan to do that. So I'm not saying that like they're the same players. They're very different guys, uh, very different roles, very different everything. I just keep coming back to that in my mind, and I keep coming back to the fact that I think teams, at the end of the day, for the most part, fall back on the tape that they've seen, and oftentimes the risers that we see in the pre-draft process. It's the guys, it's the guys who have that really strong tape and showcase themselves in the pre-draft process show that it's always been there. Uh, it's not the guys that like didn't show it in college and then move up in the NBA draft. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, am I making sure. sense you're, when I say this? No, you're making, you're, you're making a lot of sense because my kind of argument is the athleticism, the, the verticality of, of his jumps, all that is going to pop more in workouts and it certainly will. Because when you're kind of like training for that, just individual drills, it's different than playing within the flow of an offense. What I'm trying to sell is if the jumper gets there, he can be that. In your case is, well, Nasir Little was the same thing. The jumper never really got there. Are you okay with this outcome taking him at six or seven? Probably well, not. But, uh, I guess, but, I guess seven, for me but he's, it's, higher, he's higher than 17, I think, where you have him is my, my argument. I, I guess for me it's more – our team's going to believe it in the pre-draft process. It's not like, I think that Nasir Little has a real shot to shoot it at some point. I think Keon Johnson has a real shot to shoot it at some point. I'm a little bit lower on that than what other people seem to be in terms of evaluating that. But I'm skeptical that teams are going to go into a one-on-oh workout with Keon Johnson and he's going to make 70 out of 100 threes at the end of a workout and they're going to go, oh, he can shoot. I think that they're going to fall back on what they saw this year and say like, oh wait, like this guy when he was in the middle of like actual basketball, his mechanics flew all over the place, uh, had a bit of a hitch and had like a very skinny base on his jumper. Like, is that going to fall back into that? You know what I mean? Like RJ Hampton did all of that last year too and looked great pre-draft in terms of fixing his jumper and his jumper looks better now. But at the end of the day, I think teams fell back to what they saw in New Zealand with the tape. Yes, and and kind of went lower. He went lower on draft night, but now we look at in the end of the season is also fake life to me. I hate hate yeah. seeing like the stats from the last two weeks. People's like, well, see, look, he was that good. Now I'm going to contradict myself. Those last two weeks of the season when he had freedom, he played really well. 
and uh, he might have been rookie of the month week. I'm, again, I'm terrible with dates, but the the jumper did look cleaner. And with, with Keon, maybe he doesn't make 70 shots in a workout, but if he makes 60 and it looks a little bit more fluid, it's a cleaner ball. The his his base is a little bit wider. It comes off his hand cleaner. The follow through is not like a, a pulling the string. It, it can just add to his case that it's it's closer than people may think. Yeah. No, I don't think. I think it's a good case. I'm, and I think it's a good case for his long-term value, but I'm skeptical that it bears itself out on draft night, if that makes sense. Very much so. Okay. So my next guy actually is Usman Garuba. We kind of mentioned him. I won't go into <laughs> yes. like crazy depth uh, on Garuba. He just had an enormous game again today, uh, as I mentioned. I think teams are going to go back to what they've seen in Spain and go back and watch that tape and he's just going to really stand out. Uh, I think a big thing that goes underappreciated with a lot of this stuff is oftentimes draft risers are not necessarily based off of what they do in the pre-draft process. It's based off of catching someone's eye in the pre-draft process and then evaluators going back and looking at the tape. It's really hard to do super in-depth evaluations seeing 700 minutes of 90 players uh, over the course of an entire season because you're trying to get eyes on everybody just to see what's going on. The postseason part of it is best to like do the deep dive on stuff. And that's kind of why my evaluations on guys can sometimes move up, move down, change a little bit because it's that little bit of distance helps you get the whole context. And then on top of it, that little bit of distance allows you to like really do a deep dive and understand where a person sits within the construct of the entire draft cycle. So in the case of Garuba, I think that there's a real chance that these teams who just haven't gone overseas to see him, he's kind of been out of sight, out of mind. And the numbers aren't like unbelievable, like with Sengun, where he's, you know, putting up 17 and nine every single game and winning Turkish league MVP. (laughs) Yes. But in the case of Garuba, I think the tape isn't quite as impressive as Sangoon, but in many ways it is pretty close. It's just on the other end of the floor defensively that it's that close. And I think as teams go back and really look at him, I think they're going to be like, Oh shit. Yeah. This is, this is kind of a no brainer. He's going to be able to step in immediately and play. Is it better for, garuba to not even do pre-draft workouts and leave that shroud of secrecy in case the jumper doesn't look great is that is the tape so good that that, that you just say here's the tape like he's he's rolling now in their playoffs his biggest selling point is, is definitely his defensive ability the upside the motor maybe some of that offense that hasn't really been tapped into yet i wouldn't even I'm not telling anyone, anyone what to do here, but even expose holes to be poked in his game and just let the tape kind of speak for itself. I mean, I think, I think, I mean, don't, I'm not going to say who the agent is because I'm not like a thousand percent sure on it and people and all that <laughs> yeah. stuff. We're um, not docs anyone here. Yeah. Well, no, 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 well, I mean, he's allowed to have an agent and everything, so I'm not worried about yes, that front. Yes, it's, yeah. We're, um, we're not, we're not naming names. Yeah. It's more that like, I'm not like 90, I'm not, I'm like 99% sure who the agent is. I'm not a thousand percent sure. So I don't want to, you know, end up with that reported, but the agency that I believe he's working with is very, very good at that. And like hiding guys and helping with draft positioning. So I think that 
they might do that. They, they'll probably do limited workouts for teams like in the 10 to 18 range that they think are good fits and kind of go from there. Yeah, there it'll be more strategic. It's it's not yeah. hiding him, but kind of like storing him away. Well, and he has like he has the fi- ACB finals coming up here that'll happen next week. So, like it's he he's still got some time basically overseas before he can even consider coming over for pre draft workouts. Which for him is is likely best case scenario too, yeah. because just or- organically he's he's self. <laughs> self-hiding storing away because he physically can't leave the country because he has games well also the, the other part of this too is like he has more tape out there on him than any other player in this draft oh, like if yeah i mean teams will find the real him. madrid system since like he was 12 or 13 like well, if you want usman garuba film like you can find it well do you know how many games he's played this year uh well he played in like two different leagues right it's like the euro league and the right. other one so it's like a lot because i remember part of like the Doncic thing was like when he was over there it was always worn out he played 60 games this year so uh, my guess for garuba is going to be like 45 garuba's played 83 games of basketball holy snake and, and people throw stones <laughs> at grassroots basketball how dare you play five games a weekend? <laughs> this man has played 83 games in like Six months. What are we talking about? <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, no, they played because he, he plays both ACB and Euro League. Like yes, it's yes, that, that's like what some, I was talking about. Yeah, some guys, you know, it's they sit them one game or the other league. He plays like both every like yeah, every game. It feels which, like, which so. is funny too because when the name for it didn't first pop up, like everyone relaxed. Like I know he's been a prospect forever, but when he was kind of more solidifying himself as, as definitely a mid first round guy. I was diving into the tape, and what I tend to do first is just watch the offensive possessions, and then if I like what I see, don't like what I see, all right, let's pop on a full game. So I was watching all these offensive possessions, and every game it was like a different arena. I'm like, right. what is going on here? Then you see, like, oh, he played seven minutes, he took two shots. Played three minutes, took a shot. Played 12 minutes, took two shots. So then as the season wore on, you see the highlights start changing. Like, all right, we're in the same gym. This is the first. This is the second. Okay, <laughs> like he was playing more time. It was getting better. It was building. I didn't know it was 85 games. That's yeah. staggering. Yeah, it is. Uh, okay, you're up. Uh, give me another one. Yeah, I'm just going to poke you at this one because I, I I know where you're at, and I'm going to go with Cam Thomas, who is 28th on your board. Yeah, sure. He, he's going to go higher than 28. I have yes, zero doubt about that. Yeah. And, and workouts, he's going to be able to show what he is. He doesn't have to pass. You can go full button getter <laughs> with range, moving on a shot. The LSU staff, when you talk to them, they said the kid never took a day off. He'd shoot for yeah. an hour and a half, either before or after practice every day, off days, Sunday mornings, whenever. Their percentages weren't great at 41% from the field, 33% from three, but did shoot 88% from the free throw line. He was just such a volume guy. He averaged 17 shots per game. I felt like he adjusted to his like crazy pace at times, which shows that his catch and shoot percentage, it's a 67th percentile while being guarded, was higher than 50% being unguarded because he was just used to like having a hand in his face, kicking out, <laughs> taking a fadeaway three. It, yeah. he, his body just became prone to, to wanting a guy to challenge him rather than take an, an unguarded shot. There's going to be some offensively inclined teams that dig back into the tape, put eyes on these workouts, and he makes 33 threes in a row, and just see the positives in the ability to be a bench-type scorer higher than 28th. Oh, yeah, he's going higher than 28. Like, he, he just is. There's no question about that. I would imagine on the mock, I have him somewhere in the top 20, right? 
um some, something that range uh he's yeah he's gonna go somewhere in the top 20 i think for sure i, I don't i don't really have like i'm not gonna make a case against that i, I think that you're absolutely right um in, in terms of what i wrote in the draft guide i'll just kind of like share like you know Gets most of his buckets off the jumper. Extremely deep range beyond the NBA line. Absolutely has a real mid-range game. Good elevation on the jumper. Clean off the catch. Great rhythm on the jumper. Uh, shoots directly off of the hop with little wasted motion when right at the college three-point line. Does need a bit of an exaggerated ball to generate power and rhythm when extended beyond the uh, college three-point line. But the fact that he's already as smooth as he is off the hop when at that line portends well for his NBA development as he gets older and stronger. Um, epitome of a difficult shot maker that plays at his own pace and doesn't really seem to notice the contest from the defender. Great focus on the rim. <laughs> yes. If you go under a ball screen on Thomas, that ball's going up toward the basket from well beyond the college three-point line. Uh, he'll pull up behind the ball screen. You won't have enough time to get there to stop him. But if you switch against him, he actively hunts out mismatches and tries to take advantage excellent at stringing those out and creating advantageous opportunities for himself off of the bounce so look and that's like half of what i wrote about his scoring ability and scene yeah yeah <laughs> that's a lot. not, yeah. not right, even right on. Scene. Spot on. yeah but right. like the other big thing that i wrote is like wouldn't worry about the 32 and a half percent three point mark uh clearly a more skilled shooter than that because, you know, while I mentioned that doesn't seem to notice the contest, it's clear that the contest does affect him because he's a better <laughs> yes, shooter than yes. 32% from three. He just is. Exactly. And if, if we're going beyond percentages, beyond the tape a little bit, NBA, you need bench isolation scores. Go get one. I, I can't create for you. Find a bucket. And, and he finds ways to find buckets. Granted, he finds a lot of shot attempts, too. But yeah. every single game he's out there. Oh, if he goes 13 or 14, I won't be surprised. Um, I, I like more complete players than that, uh, which is why I have him at like 28, 27, you know, 26, something in that range. Um, my guess is, you know, my guess is he ends up, honestly, I would say he's probably going to end up like 24 on my board. Um, mm, just kind of yeah, looking at the names that are in that range. But it's, yeah, I, I think that you're right. Like, I, I don't really have a case against you. So, let's uh let's move on so for me next is going to be kessler edwards and i have kessler edwards as a first round grade right now i think that the general consensus of nba teams is more like mid-second uh just based off of what i've been told about like where um you know kind of where the feedback came in and all that stuff um I think as more teams look at his tape at Pepperdine, they're going to see a guy who's really valuable defensively, really switchable, and he's really going to shoot it. And then on top of it, he's working out in Santa Barbara right now against guys like Scotty Barnes, Greg Brown, um, Nimi Keita, etc. And from what I've been told, uh, he doesn't look out of place there at all. Like there's been some question of, oh, he doesn't play uh, a high enough competition outside of when they play Gonzaga, you know, etc. Right. But yeah, that's concern. Yeah. From what I've been told, he, he looks not out of place at all and is playing really, really well there. So I'm going to go Kessler Edwards uh, is my next guy. You're sneaky. You're taking inside information. This is insider trading right here. Looks great. I'll mention him on the pod. My concern with the one of them is the inflated numbers a little bit of Pepperdine, especially the reboundings and blocks by playing in the West Coast Conference and you're not playing the, the top tier teams every night. 
And just how do you contextualize when he has 37 and 11 versus Pacific? He did have 17 points in a triple overtime game versus UCLA. Two games versus Gonzaga. He had 14 points in one, 11 in another. And kind of, I know it's like a, a little bit of a wacky example, but just for the argument I'm trying to make, when John Morant was at Murray State, you knew in conference the, the competition wasn't going to be high major. Just that's the nature of the beast. He had similar questions to an extent about that. And he had 38-9-5 against Alabama. He had 17-16 and against Marquette. He had 28 against Florida State. So it balances out when he has a 40 ball versus SIU Edwardsville. So a little bit for Kessler, it's it's how, how much do you think the numbers have been bumped up by playing not exactly like the, the premier team's night in night out now if you're telling me in the workouts it looks like it's going to translate it's probably a different story but that's my initial hesitation i'd say to to have him in the first round so typically i think a big part of the numbers being inflated on that level tends to be usage right like he, he has a ton of usage and thus gets a lot of shot attempts and a lot of opportunities i mean kessler edwards took like 12 shots a game this year <laughs> like it's not like he was dominating their offense right uh, colby ross the point guard uh there who's also in this draft and you know probably not a you know definitely not a draftable player but someone that uh, you know, if he's stuck in the G League for a couple of years and got a cup of coffee in the NBA, wouldn't surprise me by any stretch. Um, you know, he averaged 13 shots a game, averaged eight assists, had the ball in his hands the whole game, basically. Like, if you look at his usage rate, like it was, he had like a 26 usage rate, and that's without accounting for the passing. Uh, so you just look at the ball, you look at what they have or like the the way that their offense ran. I mean, it's Kessler was involved, but it's not like he was dominating the ball. So I, I don't know that the numbers are like crazy inflated. They're, they're inflated. Like he's not going to average 17 a game in the NBA. Right. But I think he's probably going to be a guy that, you know, steps up and knocks down corner threes and movement threes and, plays high-level defense because he's so smart in help situations. Right. I, I just – some of the offense, too, like he's not – the numbers aren't great off the dribble, and he has to show some level, I would argue, of shot creation, especially without – he has this tendency to turn his back to the basket and back to his defense to back down his man for the mid-post, not always going to be able to do that. And, and with the shot, are you worried at all about kind of the release point where it's over the top but a little bit of a push and kind of kicks his legs out a little bit, too? A little bit worried about the kick – uh Hunt is worried about the push. I think that that'll get ironed out as he continues to just kind of get stronger. You know, like I think that that's what he needs as much as anything. Like very clearly as elite level touch. Uh, um, yeah, eighty eight percent free throw shooter. Yeah, I, I think that over time it's going to be fine. The thing that worries me is uh, it just doesn't seem to like process passing reads at a super high level. Uh. Everything is an escape pass, not like a danger pass, you know? And, and part of that's probably because you, you said he had a, a point guard who started every game when he was there, and it has a higher usage rate and could set the table. So maybe it's just he didn't have as many opportunities to score that way. And 
the strength I, I agree with because if, if you watch some of his tape, a lot of it is second chance points on the glass and scoring over the top of guys, which isn't going to be as easy to do in the NBA when the guy you're shooting over the top of is 6'10 with a 7'3 wingspan. Yeah, like I, I don't think he, I think he's a three. I don't like he's a three four hybrid who plays like super three, four, high level yeah. hype def, or, uh, uh, defense, uh, you know, moving across different positions. So yeah, no, uh, something in the like late first round range for me on Kessler Edwards, I would say he goes more top of the second round uh, as opposed to, you know, where I have him. But I think that would be probably a 15 spot jump based off of where uh, he is right now. Yeah, I, I, I have him lower. I don't, I don't value him as higher as you, but I, I hear your sell. Yeah. Well, it, let, me, let me go next and then you can go too because I think it's interesting to compare and contrast these two guys particularly. Uh, I have Trey Murphy as another guy that I think he's gonna, is really going to help himself in the pre-draft process. And I think it's for similar reasons as Kessler Edwards. But whereas Kessler, I think, probably didn't get seen as much. With Trey, I think that like getting him out of the Virginia scheme, where his tape is already good, but kind of getting him in a different scenario is going to help him. I think he's going to solidify himself in that first round range. Yeah, I, I was uh, an early adopter to kind of like the, the Trey Murphy thing too. Uh, he could be limited at Virginia to just catch and shoot uh, a quick slash from the perimeter or backdoor cuts for dunks. And that's, that's kind of what they, they wanted him to, to do in his role there. He turns 21 next week and still would argue that the the limelight and the preparation that comes with that is still newish to him as a prospect. I I know he had a full ACC season, but a year ago he was at Rice and he transferred thinking he's going to sit out and you're thrown into the middle of this fire and finds his way to the other side. Now he's this draft prospect because he's 6'9 and has this nice stretch to end the year of the last four to five games. I I don't want to be one-dimensional offensively. Uh, A little bit inconsistent rebounder at his size. He only took 41 free throws all year, which could be attributed to just lack of physical play and strength and budding skill set that's still running to form. But uh, I like him as a first-round guy with touch, with athletic pop at at his size and lots of defensive tools, even though the, the finished product may not be there yet, to be this switchable wing that's so coveted in the NBA. So here is why I have Kessler Edwards just a couple spots higher. Kessler Edwards was a much better defender this year than Trey Murphy was. Like they have very similar limitations. They're both like six eight, six nine. Kessler's arms are probably like a little bit longer, so probably pretty similar in terms of like the way that their length uh, plays itself out on a basketball court. I just kind of think Kessler is a better defender than Trey, and I think that they're going to play similar roles. Trey's probably a little bit better of a shooter than Kessler but I think I'd rather have the more well-rounded guy given that I think they're both high-level shooters. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to stay with Trey just because I, I do believe in the buzzwordy upside of, of piecing it all together. And I, I just think that at, at 6-9, the shot, all, like the numbers were good, but like still like a, a little funky with like leaning his head to the left. And you could tell his confidence built as the season went on and he hit that little lull that was, was stronger to finish the year that, if he believes in himself, the, the ability and the stuff is, is going to click. Not that Kessler Edwards is more of a finished product, but has been able to show it more, I guess, from – they both played – was Kessler Edwards three years, right? Yeah. Yeah, so he played three. It's, it's technically Trey Murphy's third year. But I would just argue that Trey Murphy's still kind of like discovering who he is as a prospect, and, and Kessler Edwards just is, is more of a, a more finished product of, of what it would be. Not a knock at a ceiling – 
but just I'm more curious as you dig through the layers what Trey Murphy could potentially become. No, I think I agree with that in terms of ceiling because also Trey is just like a more explosive, bouncy kind of athlete too. Like he just is, you know? Yeah. No, he was the king of the backdoor dunk, uh, flex, frown, scowl once or twice a game. And, and they were like, fucking tomahawks like he would <laughs> yeah, throw no, that thing down <laughs> okay are, you've got are you hold, got, hold on I, I, I have one one last counterpoint here are we worried at all that like this is a little bit of like the jerome robinson ish archetype no because jerome had to play on the ball whereas these guys don't and jerome, jerome was yeah, not very good defensively like yeah <laughs> and <laughs> right. kessler is i understand your point though just in terms of like guys that are really skinny and you know, maybe don't have like the positional strength for what they have to do, but yes, I think these guys usage, are. But yeah, yeah, I think these guys are just kind of different, different roles, and that makes it a bit easier. Yes. All right. Good. So I got two here. I, I'm, I'm going to lead off with a, a less in-depth one, and I'm going to go with Dejan Nix from the G League Ignite, who is currently 58th underboard. Yeah, that's too low on my part for what it's worth. From what I've been told, that's too low. So there's there's no real way around it. He didn't look like himself in the bubble. He didn't. He was out of shape to the point where scouts asked what happened because he was this fluid, big guard with end-to-end vision, quickness, euro-stepping in high school, and then he showed up and he just looked like a different player. And it was a, a funky year with quarantine and COVID and restrictions. I saw him this past week in Vegas, and physically he resembles the prospect I remember from Steph Curry camp prior to his senior year. He's in much better shape. He passes the look test. His workouts and impact have at least passed the test, too. I know you're working out against nobody and, and playing two-on-two, but I could see kind of this return to form aiding in his ability to move quicker on and off the ball. And the shooting, while it can still be a concern, you don't want guys to go under every ball screen, at least if the body's improving, it shows that he's bounced back and willing to put in the work to get himself where he needs to be. Yeah, no, I, I like to hear that. That's really great. Uh, um, yeah, that's, that's what I've got on that. I don't really have a ton on Dacian because I don't want, given everything you've said, I don't want to like, I don't think we need to rehash what happened in the bubble with Dacian next. Like it, it just didn't look like himself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's what it was. And now he did. And it was kind of just this odd middle year that it was for everybody and will be written about for generations. But it, it seems like he's kind of reverting back to form in a good sense. Yeah, which is great. I'm super pumped about Dacian Nix, hopefully kind of getting things back together a little bit. So let's uh, let's go on ahead and give me your fourth guy. All right, my fourth guy. And, and this one, I, to me, I feel is appropriately ranked 29th on your board. <laughs> but just as someone who the the workouts will help when he's able to showcase his full skill set to NBA scouts, and that's Jeremiah Robinson Earl from Villanova. And see, see, this was the most interesting one that you put on your list for me because yes. I, I couldn't really tell where you were going to go with it in terms of that because like not, <laughs> not a down. crazy we're, 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 this is a positive podcast yes no i know not a crazy athlete not a crazy like run and jump or you know explosiveness guy i don't know if he's gonna play at the combine like it, it's like a weird mix of things you know what i mean like for, for a draft and, and, riser at least and Right, and it's more your board. I, I feel is appropriate at having him twenty nine. Like I think I technically have him at thirty three, but some people have middle of the second, which I I'm more arguing against that because yeah, 
at Villanova, he bought in. He played wherever he had to. He didn't force the action offensively. He moved the ball. He set screens. He rolled. He got more offensive freedom when Colin Gillespie went down with a torn left MCL. He brought the ball up a little bit. He flashed some perimeter ability. The question mark is going to be a shot from three because at, at 6'9", which may be generous for his height, even if you're playing a small ball five, you have to be able to stretch the defense. You, the guys have to close out to you. He was 28% from three this past year. It was a low number of attempts. He took 82 for the season. He took 64 the year before. His synergy numbers from mid-range are a 90th percentile. There's no real problem with his form. He squares his shoulders well. His feet are right. Uh, when going out of pick and pop, he looks to kind of catch and, and shoot. It's more of a confidence and belief thing. He can hesitate just like a split second and think about it. And I'd say that part of that's maybe just he doesn't want to play outside of himself when he was there at Villanova where – those guys are so good, but ingrained to catch, jump stop, pass it opposite, cut, dive. He didn't try to like stray from what he was, I guess, position programmed to do. And he's such a, a blue-collar worker type that he's going to get it right. And teams are going to leave workouts impressed with what he can do from three. So on the measurements, I will say that back in 2018, so three years ago, uh, he measured in at like a real six nine in shoes so okay well yeah depends on your shoes without shoes yeah yeah like i I have some faith i mean like look you have a better gauge of this stuff being six foot seven like it i think it's easier for you to (laughs) like stand next to someone i was was actually reminded (laughs) in an elevator in vegas a a guy came on he goes how tall are you i was six seven he goes i saw somebody was seven one once like Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm shorter. Like, what do you, what do you, what? Oh, wait, well, how does this conversation end? He's like, yeah, his feet were bigger too. I'm like, all right, buddy, you're scaring me. Whatever. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm able, I'm able to, feet, to, man. to. Yeah, yeah, good man. You're lobby too. Okay, yeah, we're going there. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm able to to do it at my height and engage it. And Jeremiah has been on the Under Armour circuit, so I've seen him, and I'm probably biased because he is such a high character kid. And I've told this story before, but we were at camp at IMG Academy, and IMG Academy is huge, and they, they bring around in golf carts that sit like 12 or 15 people. So we're going from the cafeteria to the gym during camp. And, like, the, the shuttle legitimately, like, breaks down, like, on a bridge. And it's like, great. We're in Florida on a bridge. We're, like, 300 feet away. It's pouring rain. And, like, without hesitation, Jeremiah jumps out and starts, like, pushing the back of the van, the back of the the, the golf cart. I'm like, this is a dude. So you're, you're going to hit pick and pop three. He's going to work hard, not complain. You're going to push us to, to safety and to being dry. Like, I want that guy on my team. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a real push-the-team bus kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. Write the headline right now. That'll be like the third nugget when he's drafted. Pushed a broken down van from IMG. They'll embellish it and say he pushed it for like three miles or something. But that happened. That was real. Pushed it 15 miles in the snow is what it's going to be at the end. (laughs) And then worked out. Took 600 jumpers afterwards. Did 1,000 push-ups. No, I I mean, I've been in early. I've I've been on Jeremiah for a while. I'm a big fan. I love his game. I, I love everything he brings to the table. I think he's multi-skilled, multi-talented. I worry about just the measurements being six foot nine and being a four and having six foot nine wingspan and all that stuff. But yeah, look, as long as the shot translates, I think he's going to play in the NBA for a decade, like pretty easily. Yeah, I'm a believer. Okay. That's all I've got on my end today in terms of draft risers. Is there anyone else you wanted to mention? 
I don't think so. We can we can table this. I, I got a few more that we can, can go on at a at a later date. I'm sure we'll do this again in a, a week or two. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about this next week. I mean, we we wanted to do this because we have the combine coming up. Combine invites went out uh, earlier this weekend, and I think or this past weekend, and uh, I would imagine we'll have a combine list early next week. They, I don't know if they've sent out the second batch of invitations yet, but. Uh, typically you have to like get the responses from people, see how many people are actually going to come. And then you have to kind of figure out how you have to fill out the rest of the combine. Right. So, yes. Yeah. We'll figure that out. Uh, Penny, please, please tell me your reaction to seeing that I got called a pipsqueak on the internet last night. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention it. I wasn't. And I always try to think like a little bit if I have an intro with some spice to it. And I was downstairs before I came up to start recording. I said, you know what? I'm going to leave it alone and let him bring it up if he wants to be the, uh, the bad boy of draft podcasting. The bad boy of draft podcasting. <laughs> put, put it in your Twitter bio. The bad boy of awards, uh, trutherism. Yeah. Uh, yes. No, I mean, it's it's amazing. I love the internet so much. Um, yeah, I mean, we've got Greg Logan here who works for Newsday uh, voting for Andre <laughs> Drummond for Defensive Player of the Year last year and then, like, you know, shouting, Vindication! Uh, after Rudy Gobert wins this year. <laughs> What are we? What are we doing here? What is that I mean, even? How, like, what are the? What are the, How do we even get here? How do we cross over has, into to that space? And and I saw the the exchange. I mean, I, I felt you were pretty civil. Like, I didn't think you were taking personal shots. I it was a, no, it was a little unwarranted by our, our friend. No, like these votes affect players' money. Like these votes affect contract incentives. They affect, uh, you know, whether or not a player is eligible for the supermax deal. Uh, you know, that's literally something that what does Jason Tatum get? Something like $25 million extra if he makes the all NBA team this year. Like these votes genuinely matter. So for people to give Andre Drummond a defensive player of the year vote, I mean, it's just like indefensible at the end of the day for me. And then this guy comes into my DMs and. You know, <laughs> well, you're, you're always going to get weird, like weird votes. Like, didn't Derek Rose get a, a first place MVP vote this year? That was from the fans. It was there's a fan vote for MVP. Sure, still still That's a weird why. element of it. And didn't like yeah. Marion or Rivera like get one vote short of being like unanimous? And it didn't someone just yeah. update like on Rotten Tomatoes like a a bad review on Paddington? So it's like ninety nine percent rather than a hundred percent. There's always going to be somebody who's like out there to to try to be different. There's always going to be someone, but like. That stuff is different for me because, yeah, look, we can talk about, like, basketball as an art form and all that stuff, but, like, Paddington 2 is, like, legitimately an art form, right? Like, <laughs> filmmaking... I leaving that breadcrumb. You wouldn't, you wouldn't leave it alone. And, That's beautiful. And the, the way that people emotionally respond to films is going to be different for everyone. Basketball, yes, like, aesthetically, there are factors that make people love, for instance, like, Jamal Crawford and revere him to such an extent to where he is considered, you know, an elite, elite, elite player in the history of uh, scorers, right? Uh, you know, in terms of having an incredible bag and ability to get to his own shot, right? Um, yes. Despite the fact that, like, he was a really good player for a long time, not like, you know, a never an all star, never was really all that close to being an all star, 
Right. Um, there's there we have ways now to be able to know what the impact of a player is. And like, it's not, it's not just like Rudy Gobert versus Andre Drummond. Like it's the thought process to where you get to that conclusion. Um, Like what are, I just don't understand how one could watch Andre Drummond and have any idea what they're looking at. Or in this guy's case, been in the business for 48 years. God, if you've been in business 48 years and you can't see that Rudy Gobert is a better defender than Andre Drummond, like get out of the business. Like, what are you doing here, man? Um, 48 years is a long time to not know what the hell you're doing like (laughs) you you're queuing this up for like a um a boxing match like between celebrities like people do but you're just like stoking the flame right now but like you understand like why this frustrates me because there are i i I do and i don't you answered your own question that it's the internet and people are nuts like there'll there'll be podcasts we do that that people just seem in your mentions our mentions whatever that they're kind of just like talking to themselves like and i i I, I love engagement i love people talk to us and and call us idiots or say we're great or whatever but then there's sometimes people who just like will write like eight or nine straight things and it's like i don't like i don't even know what you want me to respond to this and See, I don't like, like that, it personally that doesn't bother me though like I, i'm good with that like please engage with us like fans please we, we do this for fans right um yeah no it's it, it, it's fun but the, i feel but like, like you this, just gotta this, block out the haters a little better is my point but like this person has like a vote like this person wasn't even a hater for me like it's this person has a vote <laughs> just a hater in general to, yeah. this person helps to determine like contract structure in the nba essentially at this point right, because right, that's what right. this is and bigger than paddington yeah it's like please like come at me with whatever hey like i don't really care like i'm at that point where i'm good with it like th- but it eludes me to where we can we can have the like people like this like there are so many people like go give steve jones a vote go give nikaias duncan a vote go give um you know danny larue nate duncan like give people who actually like do the work and do smart stuff and watch a lot of basketball and watch a lot of basketball and contextualize the league like look you might agree you might disagree with those guys on some level but you can't really ever question that they put in the work no shot i mean it's hard it's hard sometimes on twitter when you're watching a game when you follow those guys and they're doing live updates and and spins on the analytics and spins on lineups and here's a clip here's a video like they're definitely watching they're not mailing it in yeah no question so like give those give give votes to those guys don't don't let you know this guy who thinks Andre Drummond is a top five defender in the league, like vote for these awards that actually determine contract structure. It's just, it's kind of indefensible to me, I guess that's end of yeah, end bad. of rant. Uh, you know, having said that, had you ever seen the word pipsqueak written out it like in like written <laughs> no, form before that? So. That was like a, a schoolyard barb. You throw somebody in like 1942 or something. I don't like remember the last time I heard pipsqueak. That's I why was, I like cackled when he sent it. And then I realized that you actually quote tweeted it. I'm like, that's good. I will say this. I got one. Oh, this was probably a long time ago. Um, And and to be honest, like I sort of kind of deserved it in this case. Um, I got an angry (laughs) message from uh, who was it? I think it was like Frank Isola or something. And he he it was when I was working at CBS and like his retort was. uh, And while you're up, go get John Rothstein a coffee. So I was like, you know what? That's a good one. I, I accept that one. That one works. No, it's, you know, it's not because you just respond and say, Frank, if you did your homework, you know John Rothstein has never drank a cup of coffee. <laughs> Which is 100% true. 
also yeah, never no, was one. So it's like yeah. I, I get it, but it, it was a good dig. It was not. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't the the right information, but it was, it was a good dig. Like ah, it got me. Sometimes you've got to take your L's. To, like yeah, you, you, totally. It was a good one. Sometimes people have a good comment. It's like I'm not even going to add to that because it, it was perfect. Yeah, no, totally. Like I was like 100 percent in. I was like, you know what? Like that's that's on me, and I just got owned. You know, good work, Isola. Yeah, just, I'll take a lap. <laughs> I'll take a lap. That was on it. Uh, but uh, yeah, so, someone calling someone else a pipsqueak in written form. That uh, I don't I don't know that that meets the bar necessarily. Uh, all right, Penny. Uh, I have to. I, I'm like what? Probably two hours now from going to see uh, in the Heights. So tell the people where <laughs> they can find me. Five hour podcast. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm Matt underscore Penny. Just was at two good events. We're gearing up for a huge July, chasing teams to opt into our stuff. Three live periods. College coaches are going to be on the road a ton. So I'll be in in that world, and I'm excited. The draft is also getting closer, and uh, we saw today that next year's draft is like June 22nd, which is a lot better for me selfishly. So uh, nature is healing. We're, we're getting back to some level of normalcy, even if it just means the NBA draft. <laughs> nature is healing. Uh, it is. It one, is. Of our, one of our writers on the hockey side, Sarah Sivian, uh, tweets that like every time she gets seen out at a bar, and it just like it's great. Uh, it's one of my favorite things. <laughs> well, uh, well, I was I was when I was in Vegas the other day. I, I saw both Jason Derulo and uh, Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders, walk through the bar, and I was like, "We're we're getting there. We're we're back. We're getting close." I have like a real so th- this might be like a poll that I put out like with the podcast. Could you pick Jason if Jason Derulo walked past you? Oh, could you pick him out? I, did. I honestly he, he don't was, think he was I was with one other person, and I was with my buddy. I said, "I think that's Jason Derulo," and uh, he came back like thirty minutes later and had like a, a group of like twenty people. I'm like, "That's one thousand percent him." <laughs> and he has the same you? reaction. He's like, "I don't know how you know that." Like, yeah, like, Jason did Derulo, you? How do you not know that? <laughs> Like, I, I Googled it. I went back to the image search. I'm like, I got to be sure. I'm like, no, it's definitely him. Did you, like, Instagram stalk him to see, like, if no. he's, like, doing a show uh, yes, in I did. Vegas? I actually did. Yeah, I did. I went to his Instagram page to see if he posted something. I thought you were going to be like, did you I thought you were going to say, like, did you see if he's on tour whatever? Yeah, no, I'm a creep. I looked. He wasn't there. Oh, man. He wasn't in Vegas? Uh, no, he didn't post. He was in Vegas. Didn't mean. Oh, okay. He, he wasn't. He wasn't physically there. Oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah, um, Jason, big fan. If you're listening, <laughs> shout out Jason Derulo. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe. Do everything you can to support the show. Uh, until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.